You transferred him? Are you worried about my taste in revenge? Should I be? Talaeus asked bluntly. Not for that, said the king. On the other hand, if you give me another morning like this one, I'll have you all packed up in chains and sold on the peninsula as gladiators. There was more laughter. No more mornings like this one, your majesty, Talaeus promised. I admit that I find them painful myself. I'm glad to hear it. If I'd known that all I needed to do was hit you very hard with a stick, I would have done it months ago. If only all our problems could be solved by hitting someone very hard with a stick. Hello bathers, I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. Today we finish The King of Atolia. Woo-hoo. You might notice a difference in our audio quality. Um, we are in COVID-19 self-isolation. Woohoo! So we're recording uh, <laughs> in, our, in our respective homes. Uh, and Caitlin's got a different mic set up. So that's the deal with that. R.I.P. sound quality, but... Bear with us. I find this chapter so dramatically satisfying and also so inherently funny everyone's just naked in the bath this is where they've chosen to have this conversation because that's the whole point of the conversation is they couldn't have it anywhere else the point is that they see he's ripped and they see he has a lot of scars and a lot of bruises and that's what makes he's been hiding all of that it's powerful symbolism he is revealed Mm -hmm both non-literally and literally he is yeah naked in more ways than one i love that he i know we've talked about him being secretly swole before but it's so funny yeah no fighting man who'd seen the muscles in the king's wrist would have underestimated him the atolians had like that's hilarious he just has to hide how jacked he is or none of his plans would have worked (laughs) he's got jacked wrists I know that he's secretly practicing with Ornon and everything, but I also like to think of him working out <laughs> in his room by himself. <laughs> That's what he's doing when he shuts everybody out of his room. Just pull-ups, push-ups, jumping jacks. This shit takes maintenance. Yeah. Another hint that Ornon is more important than anyone would have thought. Yeah. I have my eye on Ornon. And Ornon has been... We've known that he's aware of what Eugenides is capable of, but this is him being in on it to an extent that we hadn't previously been aware of. They're in cahoots. In cahoots. You're either either in cahoots with Jen or you're out of cahoots. Those are (laughs) just two two relationships. (laughs) And this this whole chapter is about knowing and being known and what does it take to really know someone, Talia says... Uh, I would like to think there was more to this morning than getting hit in the neck with a practice sword. He looked gravely at the king. It isn't an easy thing to give your loyalty to someone you don't know, especially when that person chooses to reveal nothing of himself. In order to claim the power that's his, Jen has to, in some ways, be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. He has to be willing to do that. Which is interesting because... Yeah! And... Like, Atolia has never done that. Because she Atolia... doesn't have that trust with anyone. Atolia does not trust people. Atolia is not vulnerable. People do not know her. And yet they are unfailingly loyal to her. And that's because they trust in what she does, even though they don't 
you know, they don't know her as a person, but they trust that she, that she has their best interests at heart. They, the army trusts her to pay them because she's, you know, been reliable. She's, I don't want to say predictable. She doesn't seem like she has tricks up her sleeve, even though she does. Mm. This was all her, uh, she set these dominoes in motion Mm -hmm. for all the events of this book. But I feel like the people who are loyal to her, like, they're loyal because they know they can trust in what she does for them. And it's interesting how she and she and Jen are discussed in this chapter because Jaleus doesn't want the guard halved because uh, they've always kept her safe. And he wants to keep her safe in the future, too. But Jen is saying, guard my back and I will keep her safe. I find it interesting that all of them are doing this out of love or loyalty to her relating to all these other people is kind of just coming back to her at the end of the whole thing and at the beginning as you said because she put all these dominoes in motion but at the same time this scene is also a a culmination of jen is really becoming king he's truly becoming the power in the country in addition to her this is the scene where he asks talaeus am i king and talaeus doesn't pretend not to understand like no more don't tell me, like, whatever barons have whispered sacred oaths around my ankles. And then at the end, the last line of this book, which is just so, so right on there, is Talia says, That one will rule more than just Atolia before he is done. He is an annex, a king of kings. Find so out think... in the next book. Laic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doman. Yeah. Jen decides to let him go. Assuming that he will run to Arendides, Arendides will kill him, and then everyone will see how Arendides treats those loyal to him. Cutthroat. Cutthroat. And this is... Jen is making this decision. He's making that call in front of people. Yeah. Talia says something like, someone, some people would call that merciful. And the king says, but you wouldn't. You know that there's a political motivation behind it. Mm-hmm. And we do find out in this chapter, Tilaeus is saying, you know, a man should control himself, a man is not a dog. Uh, it's not easy for me to say, but then I never hit you in the face. That's true enough, Eugenides agreed without a glimmer of a smile, but then I never meant you to. I wasn't baiting you, I was baiting Costas. There are no accidents. Yeah. And it's interesting that Costas' internal narration right after that says, uh, The loss of temper that had changed his life, the, the appointment to lieutenant, they hadn't been accident or caprice. Which I find interesting that says the loss of temper specifically because that's his loss of temper. Saying that Jen is responsible for Costas' actions when that's... He influences people. Yeah. In It's very godlike. Control people. in your ear. Yeah. So I guess this kind of answers the question that we had many episodes ago at the beginning, wondering, like, did Jen choose Costas specifically on purpose? Mm, Who shall I have punch me today? (laughs) Yeah, it definitely seems like he picked Costas. We don't really know based on what criteria. Um, Was it just that he was there that day? Uh, Yeah. Like, Costas is somebody who is particularly respected in the guard who's an honest man who doesn't have his own agenda yeah and we know that jen observes people and that he knows a lot about each individual person yeah uh, so, like costas is an ideal choice 
there's a lot of gender going on here in this scene. It's a, a bath, and it's all men, and it's a, um, like, inherent in the acceptance of Jen as king is acceptance of Jen's masculinity, which had previously been in question for these people. I don't know, since we don't have you know, communal baths like this in American culture, you and I might look at this kind of as something, something foreign. Yeah, something foreign to me, but this is something that's very normal for them. Although not normal for Jen, obviously. It says, you know, he did hesitate and he's used to, I guess, maybe bathing by himself as king, who knows? And it's an honor for him to be invited there to the guard's bath. Yeah. And he's covered in scars. Yeah. And we, the reader, don't even know where a lot of them come from. I think it's also a point of interest that um, evidence of his suffering also increases the amount of respect that those observing him have of him. And I don't know if that's just that, like, he's finally being vulnerable. We're finally seeing the truth of him and the evidence of what he's been through on his body is a part of that or if it is uh like an expression of the the guy's tough as nails yeah when i think about that i think you know just the context that he's in right now these are all men who fight for a living and your scars and how tough you are and how many bruises you can take without showing anything, whatever, etc. Like, that's kind of how they measure each other, right? Like, that's all tied to masculinity, like we were saying. Even though we're reminded here that Jen is small, somebody says, oh, so-and-so could snap him in half. And Talia says, yeah, if he could lay a hand on him. <laughs> I appreciate that Jen is short. This is a five feet or under podcast only Jen's talking about having the guard, um, and he says that that's not the future that he wants to leave for his heirs. So, Jen is thinking in a big picture way. Yeah. And he's assuming that he will have descendants. Man, I really hope they have a baby. Oh! (sighs) (laughs) They would be such weird parents! They would be such weird parents. You just know that every other person around the two of them, when they have kids, will be making a secret vow. (laughs) to try and make sure this baby has a normal life or, like, doesn't become a thief or a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) I can't decide what I think they would be like as parents. Like, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I go back and forth. How did you lose your hand, Papa? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what are they going to say? Are they going to leave it till like, the kid's... Like, what age? You can't just tell a two-year-old that. But, like, it's that weird, like, adoption question timeline thing. Like, some parents wait and leave it, but some kids have always known from the time that they have their oldest memories that they're adopted. So, like... The birds and the bees. (sighs) Jen would be trying trying to teach the kid to climb trees before he can walk. And Can you imagine, though, like, the first time the kid climbs up somewhere at age four, like, 400 feet above the ground, and then Jen finally has to look at, like, oh, this is what I've put my dad through my whole life. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Jen it's different. Maybe turning into his father just a teeny, teeny bit. Yeah. And the, 
the Minister of War as grandfather, especially considering the way that he relates to Irene. Yeah. That's a weird dynamic. Ooh, I want to see that. I have this image in my mind of Irene getting, going, switching into angry mode and just slowly handing her baby (laughs) to an attendant while not breaking eye contact. Getting ready to destroy. A baby could bring Atolia and the Minister of War closer together. Mm-hmm. If they, I mean, we don't know if they've, if the Minister of War has, has gotten over anything since we don't see them together again after Queen of Atolia. I mean, it's, miscarriages are actually pretty common. Um, yeah. One and, out of five pregnancies in the real world. Yeah. And plenty of people who have them then go on to carry a baby to term yeah my grandmother had i think like three or four in a row like over years and then she had all five of her kids totally fine yeah we'll see return of the thief i want to know <laughs> it's on my it's on my wish list <laughs> number one priority baby <laughs> show me the baby and helen and the sisters and the sisters They would be aunts. They have kids of their own. Cousins. chapter 14 next time we'll go into some of the short stories set around this time um there are at least two that came out with the new 2017 editions uh that both take place when jen is king one of them is i think my favorite short which one knife dance Ooh, yes Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an Amateur Embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available.